Letter five of Clarissa Harlow, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlow, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter five. Miss Howe to Miss Clarissa Harlow, Thursday afternoon, March twenty third. An unexpected visitor has turned the course of my thoughts, and changed the subject I had intended to pursue. The only one for whom I would have dispensed with my resolution not to see anybody all the dedicated day, a visitor whom, according to Mr. Hickman's report, from the expectations of his libertine friends, I supposed to be in town. Now, my dear, have I saved myself the trouble of telling you that it was your too agreeable rake? Our sex is said to love to trade in surprises, Yet have I, by my promptitude, surprised myself out of mine. I had intended, you must know, to run twice the length, before I had suffered you to know so much as to guess who, and whether man or woman, my visitor was. But since you have the discovery at so cheap a rate, you are welcome to it. The end of his coming was to engage my interest with my charming friend, and he was sure that I knew all your mind, to acquaint him what he had to trust to. He mentioned what had passed in the interview between you, but could not be satisfied with the result of it, and with the little satisfaction he had obtained from you, the malice of your family to him increasing, and their cruelty to you not abating. His heart, he told me, was in tumults, for fear you should be prevailed upon in favour of a man despised by everybody. He gave me fresh instance of indignities cast upon himself by your uncles and brother, and declared that if you suffered yourself to be forced into the arms of the man for whose sake he was loaded with undeserved abuses, you should be one of the youngest, as you would be one of the loveliest widows, in England, and that he would moreover call your brother to account for the liberties he takes with his character to every one he meets with. He proposed several schemes for you to choose some one of them, in order to enable you to avoid the persecutions you labour under. One I will mention, that you will resume your estate, and if you find difficulties that can be no otherwise surmounted, that you will either avowedly or privately, as he had proposed to you, accept of Lady Betty Lawrence's or Lord M.'s assistance, to instate you in it. He declared that if you did, he would leave absolutely to your own pleasure afterwards, and to the advice which your cousin Morden on his arrival should give you, whether to encourage his address or not, as you should be convinced of the sincerity of the reformation which his enemies make him so much want. I had now a good opportunity to sound him, as you wished Mr. Hickman would Lord M., as to the continued or diminished favour of the ladies, and of his lordship, towards you, upon their being acquainted with the animosity of your relations to them, as well as to their kinsmen. I laid hold of the opportunity, and he satisfied me, by reading some passages of a letter he had about him from Lord M., that an alliance with you, and that on the foot of your own single merit, would be the most desirable event to them that could happen, and so far to the purpose of your wished inquiry does his lordship go in this letter, that he assures him that whatever you suffer in fortune from the violence of your relations on his account, he and Lady Sarah and Lady Betty will join to make it up to him, and yet that the reputation of a family so splendid would, no doubt, in a case of such importance to the honour of both, make them prefer a general consent. I told him, as you yourself I knew had done, that you were extremely averse to Mr. Solmes, and that might you be left to your own choice, it would be the single life. As to himself, I plainly said, that you had great and just objections to him, 
on the score of his careless morals, that it was surprising that men who gave themselves the liberties he was said to take should presume to think that whenever they took it into their heads to marry, the most virtuous and worthy of the sex were to fall to their lot, that as to the resumption it had been very strongly urged by myself, and would be still further urged, though you had been hitherto averse to that measure, that your chief reliance and hopes were upon your cousin Morden, and that to suspend or gain time till he arrived was, as I believed, your principal aim. I told him that with regard to the mischief he threatened, neither the act nor the menace could serve any end but theirs who persecuted you, as it would give them a pretence for carrying into effect their compulsory projects, and that with the approbation of all the world, since he must not think the public would give its voice in favour of a violent young man, of no extraordinary character as to morals, who should seek to rob a family of eminence of a child so valuable, and who threatened, if he could not obtain her, in preference to a man chosen by themselves, that he would avenge himself upon them all by acts of violence. I added, that he was very much mistaken if he thought to intimidate you by such menaces, for that, though your disposition was all sweetness, yet I knew not a steadier temper in the world than yours, nor one more inflexible, as your friends had found, and would still further find, if they continued to give occasion for its exertion, whenever you thought yourself in the right, and that you were ungenerously dealt with in matters of too much moment to be indifferent about. Miss Clarissa Harlowe, Mr. Lovelace, let me tell you, said I, timid as her foresight and prudence may make her in some cases, where she apprehends dangers to those she loves, is above fear, in points where her honour and the true dignity of her sex are concerned. In short, sir, you must not think to frighten Miss Clarissa Harlowe into such a mean or unworthy conduct as only a weak or unsteady mind can be guilty of. He was so very far from intending to intimidate you, he said, that he besought me not to mention one word to you of what had passed between us, that what he had hinted at, which carried the air of menace, was owing to the fervour of his spirits, raised by his apprehensions of losing all hope of you for ever, and on a supposition that you were to be actually forced into the arms of a man you hated, that were this to be the case, he must own, that he should pay very little regard to the world or its censures, especially as the menaces of some of your family now, and their triumph over him afterwards, would both provoke and warrant all the vengeance he could take. He added that all the countries in the world were alike to him, but on your account, so that whatever he should think fit to do were you lost to him, he should have nothing to apprehend from the laws of this. I did not like the determined air he spoke this with. He is certainly capable of great rashness. He palliated a little this fierceness, which, by the way, I warmly censured, by saying, that while you remain single he will bear all the indignities that shall be cast upon him by your family. But would you throw yourself, if you were still further driven, into any other protection if not Lord M.'s, or that of the ladies of his family, into my mother's, suppose, or would you go to London to private lodgings, where he would never visit you, unless he had your leave, and from whence you might make your own terms with your relations, he would be entirely satisfied, and would, as he had said before, wait the effect of your cousin's arrival, and your free determination as to his own fate, adding that he knew the family so well, and how much fixed they were upon their measures, as well as the absolute dependence they had upon your temper and principles, that he could not but apprehend the worst, while you remained in their power, and under the influence of their persuasions and menaces. We had a great deal of other discourse, but as the reciting of the rest would be but a repetition of many of the things that passed between you and him, in the interview between you in the wood-house, I refer myself to your memory on that occasion. And now, my dear, upon the whole, 
I think it behoves you to make yourself independent. All then will fall right. This man is a violent man. I should wish, methinks, that you should not have either him or Solmes. You will find, if you get out of your brother's and sister's way, what you can or cannot do, with regard to either. If your relations persist in their foolish scheme, I think I will take his hint, and at a proper opportunity sound my mother. Meantime, let me have your clear opinion of the resumption, which I join with Lovelace in advising. You can but see how your demand will work. To demand is not to litigate. But be your resolution what it will, do not by any means repeat to them that you will not assert your right. If they go on to give you provocation, you may have sufficient reason to change your mind, and let them expect that you will change it. They have not the generosity to treat you the better for disclaiming the power they know you have. That, I think, need not now be told you. I am my dearest friend, and ever will be, your most affectionate and faithful Anna Howe. End of letter 5